This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serial Holic Sisters. True crime shit. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> Happy 51st episode. Happy 51st episode. We, we totally forgot to mention last week that it was the 50th. Yeah, I know. Is what you would think people would celebrate, but we're not, we're, we're, we're not, not average people. We're weird. <laughs> this is how we roll. We're very awkward and, and unplanned people. <laughs> this is all unplanned. So happy 51st. Happy 51st. Happy, that's a tongue Ooh. twister. Happy 51st. <laughs> what up? <laughs> so this week is going to be a little different because we are here together. We are. In the same Hi. closet. Hi, we're we're sitting in the closet. <laughs> we are literally smooshed up against each other because my closet is not as big as I thought. Because her podcast, like her pod lab is like 5 billion degrees. Guys, it's July and it's got a tin roof. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot. It's hot. hot. So it's we have in here with all the clothes. Yes. <laughs> so since we're hardly ever together, we're like super excited. We thought we'd do something a little special for y'all. Yes. Um, And we're going to give you this super long special episode. So we're each going to give you a case today that in some ways kind of go together, but not really. But kind of towards the end, we'll talk a little bit about how they kind of link. Correct. So I think you are going to go first. I am going to go first because mine, it does go hand in hand, but mine goes first kind of um, pretty much. Chronologically, yours happen. Technically first. Somewhat first. In a way first. Have we confused you all yet? (laughs) Probably. Okay. Well, um, we're just going to go ahead and... uh, get into it so um this week i am going to go over the jack the ripper uh theories all the different uh, theories uh. (laughs) so this week um we're gonna i'm gonna go into the endless possibilities and theories of the jack the ripper murders these murders um they occurred in the what the hell happened here (laughs) (laughs) what happened sorry (laughs) they happened in the east end of london in 1888 (laughs) my note just like yeah (laughs) it looks like a few words melded together into one very incorrect word like what is that (laughs) anyways the murders were known as the Whitechapel murders or he was known as the Whitechapel murderer okay the murders were only a threat to a very small section of the community in a relatively small part of london okay but the crimes had a huge impact on the society as a whole. I mean, as we all know, they were very gruesome. Yeah. So pretty grody. In the midnight, yeah, I might as well just say trigger warning to all of it. So yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> can we just say trigger warning for our show always? Can we? Can we? Can <laughs> Is we? that allowed? Just a blanket trigger warning. Right. <laughs> In the mid 19th century, Britain experienced a huge impact of Irish immigrants who grew the populations of the major cities, including the East End of London. Um, the parish of Whitechapel in London's East End, because when they came in, it became super overcrowded and the population increased to around 80,000 people by 1888. 
Um, Russians and Jews were also a big impact to this overpopulated area and the working um, and housing conditions were really, really bad and had a huge economic impact because, you know, underclass people and it just, it caused a lot of havoc because jobs were really scarce. Got it. Havoc everywhere. Havoc. <laughs> Around 55% of children born in the East End actually died before they were even five years old, too. That's so sad, but yes. <laughs> it is. The area was known for robbery, violence, and alcohol dependency. As poverty grew, oh. it drove women to become sex workers just to survive. And by October of 1888, the Metropolitan Police Service estimated that there were at least 62 brothels and 1,200 women working as sex workers in the Whitechapel area. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot, a lot. <laughs> so during this time, uh, being a sex worker was actually only illegal if the practice caused a public disturbance. Oh, shit. Okay. So unlike, you know, sex workers now where you hear, you know, pimps per- protecting territory and protecting their own women were actually self-proclaimed back then um they did not have to speak to anybody their money was their money and that was that and because of this (laughs) they did not have protection or anyone to report to so basically the reality is that the ladies of the night which is what they were called Mm -hmm. um were actually subject to more physical attacks due to gang-related violence in the area, which actually sometimes resulted into death. So you were, it wasn't unknown to see these women getting beat up, basically. Right. So there's a lot of theories on what happened during this time in which we actually believe started with gang violence. So I'll get into that portion of this whole um, fiasco (laughs) that is Jack the Ripper, because a lot of the theories that you hear today are it could have been multiple people Mm -hmm. it could have been you know head of some of the gangs that happened in the area um and there's some other more like there's more that that we'll get into um and there's actually a small timeline that investigators tried putting together to indicate the actual suspect of jack the ripper which is where i'm going to get into okay let's get into it all right starting april 3rd 1888 emma smith who was a local sex worker, was attacked by a local gang at the junction of Osborne Street and Brick Lane. They robbed her. They savagely assaulted her. This happened around one in the morning, and by four to five in the morning, she had arrived back at her lodging house where the other residents staying there were alarmed, you know, at her injured state, and they helped bring her to a nearby hospital. Okay. And by nine o'clock in the morning on April 4th, she had died of her injuries. Oh, no. Now, the reason I'm going to talk about this is, yes, she was not the victim of Jack the Ripper now, like people state that now, but she was the first name on the Whitechapel murder list. Okay. So <laughs> a lot of people are like, well, why bring it up if she's not murdered by Jack the Ripper? Well, the reason I bring her up is because there are theories that the Ripper was part of the gang for right. a really long time and that it they, a lot of the theories was it started with her because the murders end up happening like right after okay so we're gonna get into the crazy stuff now on august 7th 1888 martha tabram who was a sex worker she was around 35 to 40 years old in the area was found stabbed to death on a landing of george yard buildings by john reeves 
um, a person that also lived in the lodging he's area. He's the one that found her. Yeah. He was coming down the stairs to go to work when he discovered the body just lying in a pool of blood. Of course, he freaks out. Yeah, as <laughs> one does. And, you know, back then it's not phone calls or anything. Like, right, it's running no. to go find the constable. <laughs> Where the hell is that constable at now? He's a like, constable, constable. <laughs> I got this dead lady. <laughs> I bet he was a lot she, more panicked than that. <laughs> she up in my doorway. <laughs> I'm just trying to go to work. After arriving, uh, they examined the body and noted that there was 39 stab wounds to her throat, lungs, heart, liver, spleen, stomach, and abdomen. And all of her wounds had to have been inflicted with a small instrument such such as a pen knife. Okay. Um, All wounds had to have been inflicted by a right-handed individual, and she was also not raped. There was no disturbance heard bringing any mystery around her death. Um, And even after this death, it was later identified that they don't believe she was part of the Ripper deaths either. And the reason for this is... I was like, why are you bringing this? I know. (laughs) The reason for this is the type of killing. So it was really in question for a while if she was part of the... Mm-hmm. the jack the ripper series like the deaths that happen because of how gruesome it was but when i get into the other deaths you'll understand why um they try to rule this one out too so <laughs> the reason for this is jack the ripper was known if anybody really knows the story um he was known for slashing his victim's throat mm-hmm. so deep that it you know almost, almost decapitates, decapitates them, yeah. them um and in this case she was not in Okay. So, yeah. So, again, this is the second murder in the area that people are wondering, you know, who the murderer is. Nobody knows. There's no indication of who it is. But later on, they're, they're, they rule it out. Yeah. So, it's still confusing. Can you imagine living in that area in this time? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I'd rather pass. <laughs> Sounds like it's not going well. Right. <laughs> So the large number of of attacks against the women in the East and during this time adds like a lot of uncertainty to how many victims were actually murdered by the same individual or who was separated from other people, if it was gang related, if it wasn't gang related. Um, And from April 1888 to February 1891, it showed multiple police dockets as the Whitechapel murders because so many end up happening. Okay. So on August 31st, 1888, at around 3.40 in the morning, another body was found. Mary Ann Nichols. This is actually argued to be Ripper's very first victim. Right. I've heard that name is the first one. So this is the first of the canonical five. Like that's what they're known as. And the canonical five. They're known as that because there's technically five victims that they can actually pin out Link being Jack be, yeah. the Ripper. Okay. Now, I will say that there are tons more of that were in question, but there are five that are narrowed down to be the same exact killer, the same exact way. Right. Okay. So the canonical five. Um, Nichols was last seen around one hour before her body was discovered by oh, Emily damn. Holland. Yeah. That's not a lot of time to one hour. <laughs> That's crazy. So Emily had previously shared a bed at a common lodging house and was walking in the direction of the White Chapel Road when Mary was found. Like Emily shared one with Mary. Mm-hmm. Um her throat was severed by two deep cuts. 
which had actually cut the tissue down to the vertebrae. Ooh. Her vajayjay had been stabbed twice, and the lower part of her abdomen was partially ripped open by a deep, jagged wound, which caused her bowels to protrude through. Ooh. And several other cuts were inflicted. Each of those wounds were inflicted in a downward, thrusting manner. Police uh, started questioning the neighboring sex workers. In fact, this is where they actually learn about someone that they had nicknamed Leather Apron, mm. who had been extorting money from them for the past year. I don't like that nickname. Right? <laughs> okay, so on September 5th, 1888, the newspapers started writing up on the Leather Apron. They started writing writing about the Leather Apron. So basically, this guy was stealing money from you know sex workers around him, wasn't paying them when he was getting favors. So and this guy is Leather Apron. Who is Leather Leather Apron? What? You didn't you didn't hear a word I said. <laughs> I am I am confusion. <laughs> I said the police questioned neighboring sex workers. In fact, this is where they learn about someone that okay. was nicknamed Leather Apron. This guy, I guess, was extorting money from some of the sex workers in the area for like a year. And so they were like, oh, okay, well, this guy must be the guy that's killing these women. Okay. So they started writing up in newspapers about this leather apron because that was who they were provided as a nickname from these ladies. So they're looking for leather apron. So why are they writing about it in the newspaper? If you're looking for someone, you don't write in the newspaper like, hey, I'm right, looking for this. Right, but this is 1888. <laughs> they're terrible at this. What's happening? They are, but it's 1888 and they're like, oh, okay, well, maybe if we scare this guy off, he'll stop killing our sex workers. So by September 8th, 1888, the second Jack the Ripper victim, Annie Chapman, is found in the backyard of 29th Hanbury Street. So she was found around six in the morning near the steps to the doorway. Her throat was severed by two deep cuts. Her abdomen had been cut entirely open with a section of the flesh from her stomach being placed above her left shoulder and another section of skin and flesh along with her small intestines being removed and placed above her right shoulder. Literally just like gutted. Yeah. Um, her autopsy revealed that her uterus and sections of her bladder and vagina had been removed. And they never found those, did they? Like no. that was just, that was just gone. They were gone. Okay. So prior to the murder, Elizabeth Long described having seen Chapman standing outside 29th Hanbury Street about 5:30 that morning, so just 30 minutes before she was discovered. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes. She 30 minutes before she was discovered. She was in the company of a dark-haired man wearing a brown deer stalker hat it was him i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i solved it <laughs> and dark overcoat of which she described as shabby genteel which i had to look up that description because i've never ever heard of that before <laughs> and i guess it means to maintain dignity and self-respect even though you look shabby as fuck <laughs> oh <laughs> okay <laughs> so um, according to this eyewitness, the man had asked Chapman the question, will you? No. Chapman said yes. The answer is always no. <laughs> you always just say no. Like, who says yes? Just she, say no. She said yes. And then Elizabeth walked off and Chapman was found 30 minutes later. Like, and then 30 minutes later, she was dead after she said yes. Just to say no. On September 10th, George Lusk, along with another local businessman, 
um, businessmen, <laughs> businessmen, and a few others started the Mile Vigilance Committee, hoping to assist the police in catching the murderer. Okay, so as much a little um, vigilante, vigilante. <laughs> They're like, we got this. We're gonna we're gonna find this dude. Right. Okay. I see you, George Lusk. Right. And businessmen. <laughs> and businessmen. Well, the same day, John Pizer, who the sergeant on the case continues to recognize as Leather Apron. So the sergeant thinks that this John guy is Leather Apron. Right. Okay. Um, okay. He's, he's been lurking <laughs> around these sex workers. Um, he's making some women uncomfortable. He's making me uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Um, they're like, oh, that's the Leather Apron. So they grabbed him. And... Unfortunately, John provides alibis for the two recent murders, and so he was released due to lack of evidence. He's like, guys, I am not this leather apron. He's like, I've never even heard of that. And he's like, oh, like, you have it? Cool, cool, cool. I guess we're going like, to have to let you, you go. You can look at my apron right now. It's clearly pleather. Okay? <laughs> it's not leather. <laughs> so September 27th will be the day that lives in history. Oh. A letter addressed to the boss arrived at the central news agency and it was signed by jack the ripper you're gonna and read, I am going you're to read, read his letter i'm gonna read you the letter it's like it's like the axe man remember his letter oh yeah <laughs> they were bad or uh what's his face um oh the guy that was eating little kids albert fish mm-hmm. yeah that was a real those were real bad letters for some reason i couldn't think of his name okay here we go okay Dear boss, <laughs> it literally says, Dear boss, <laughs> we're off to a strong start. Continue. <laughs> I quit. No, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Take this job and shove it. There's a two week notice. <laughs> just kidding. I quit now. <laughs> no, anyways. <laughs> Dear boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I've laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. He's over here <laughs> slapping that He's knee. Literally <laughs> LOLing <laughs> about the leather apron. <laughs> I am down on whores and I oh. shan't quit. Damn. Rip- <laughs> That's going to be quickly. This motherfucker. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. I don't know what that means, but quit ripping them, please. I don't know. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with. Who it? But I went thick like, it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Coagulated, coagulated blood. <laughs> red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. Yeah, he wrote haha like lol. Stop it. <laughs> he, said, next... he said, What is it? RFLA. LMAO. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly. Wouldn't you? No, I absolutely would not. Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get. To work right away if I get a chance. Good luck, yours truly, Jack the Ripper. He said, "Good luck." I guess that he said until until I get buckled means until I get like caught in the rest right. or get chains on me or. Whatever. Don't mind me giving the trade name. Wasn't good enough to post this before. I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. 
They'll say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. I don't. They, who is they? <laughs> who is they? Listen, I don't know. I don't know what's going through this sicko's head. A lot. <laughs> a lot of bad things. <laughs> so. Okay. That was something. Just three days later. Okay. September 30th. Elizabeth Stride is found along with Catherine Eddowes. Stride was found at one in the morning and Eddowes at 145. So Stride's body was discovered in Dutfield's yard off Burner Street in Whitechapel. She had a single clear cut incision measuring six inches across her neck, which had severed her left carotid artery and her trachea. She was left with no other mutilations to her body, which led to uncertainty as to whether the murder was actually committed by Ripper or if maybe he had been interrupted during the Mm, attack. Yeah. So several witnesses later informed the police that she was in the company of a man close to Burner Street the evening of the 29th and into the early hours of the 30th. But each of the witnesses gave different descriptions of the man. That's helpful. So some were like, oh, the man was fair haired fair-haired who says that light-haired <laughs> like people had... in 1888 <laughs> <laughs> others said that he was dark-haired and then some were like oh he's shabbily dressed <laughs> shabbily dressed shabbily. these people are so judgy <laughs> and then the others were like oh he was well-dressed so <laughs> so he's a dark light-haired man with shabby fancy clothes <laughs> yes got it <laughs> <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Edo's body was found in um, a square in the city of London. Her throat was severed and her abdomen was ripped open by a long, deep, and jagged wound before her intestines had been placed over her right shoulder. The left kidney and the major part of her uterus had been removed and her face was disfigured in which her nose was actually severed and her cheek slashed. Mm. The slashes measured measured long enough to go through each of her eyelids in oh. a section of her lobe on her right ear was later later discovered on her clothing right well the police surgeon if nobody can see her nasty face <laughs> yeah I'm she's like making Ugh. yeah that's my that's what my face is saying um <laughs> ran into this cabinet the police, sur- the police surgeon who conducted the postmortem procedure stated that these mutilations would have taken at least five minutes to complete. Okay. Which I feel like they should have taken a lot longer. <laughs> I mean, unless he was just quickly just, or unless he was skilled in it and knew what he was doing and could yeah. do it quickly. I don't know. That's gross. Like he's a skilled surgeon. He's like, maybe? this took five minutes to do. And I was like, ew. <laughs> a skilled doctor, maybe. Maybe. You just don't know. You just don't know. Well, a local cigarette salesman named Joseph Lawand, I think is how you say it. Okay. Um, he had passed through the square with two other... I don't think that's how you say it. Okay. Lewinde? <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? I'm reading it now. I'm just like, Lawand. Let <laughs> <laughs> me snort. <laughs> well, we're just going to call you... Joseph. (laughs) (laughs) He had passed through the square with two other friends shortly before the murder and actually said they saw a fair-haired man of shabby appearance (laughs) with a woman who may have been Edo's. 
There's a lot of hearsay. He said, <laughs> she said, so like, many. I may have seen I this may person seen with this person, and or it, it may could have, have been a dog. Anyways, the, the two women's death later becomes known or became known. <laughs> Ooh, girl. Let's just fix that too. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> the two women's death later became known as the double event. Okay. On October 1st, the police make the Jack the Ripper letter public because they dumb dumb. <laughs> they just keep doing them. <laughs> and it results in an they're like okay does anybody know where leather apron is and also here's this letter you guys should read and just panic (laughs) here you go um we are not safe everyone you should know (laughs) well clearly it caused chaos (laughs) there was a lot of uh chaotic disruptions in public havoc havoc if you will (laughs) october 4th a couple days later a shabby man Yes, I these, what is with all these shabby men? This is how it's described. <laughs> a really dressed down man. <laughs> Do you think my husband would be described as a shabby man? I think my husband would be described as a shabby I think he would. So, so shabby man. October shabby man. He shows up at George Lusk's doorstep. Okay, that's the so, vigilante. I was going to say, Lusk was the head of that committee to help the police. Okay. Yeah. He was trying to get him to come to a local tavern and discuss many of the awful events and induce him to enter a private room with him. Okay, so he's trying to go take him to get drunk and lead him to a private room? <laughs> to a brothel. <laughs> Again, the answer is always no. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard pass. Well, Lust declined. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but he did consent to hold like a quiet conversation with him at the bar parlor. Okay. He's like, he's like, we can sit in public in front of all these people and right. have a discussion. And, and he's doing this because he's like, oh, well, I want to hear some information. Right. I want this to find might, out who this guy is. This might be, you know, yeah. beneficial later. So they were talking. And when the stranger drew a pencil from his pocket and purposely dropped it over the side of the table, he said, pick that up. Bitch, you pick it up. You dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Lusk turned to do so, and when he did this, the stranger made, like, a really swift but silent movement of his right hand towards his side pocket, and then he noticed that Lusk was literally staring at him when he did this. He was like, what did you do? <laughs> and he was like, oh, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> he was like, hey, bro, what you got in your pocket there? And then the guy asked to be directed to, like, the coffee and dining rooms. And so Lusk was like, yeah, sure. And directed him to a house. And then the stranger left. And he was like, okay, that was weird. Yeah, this is a weird situation. Mm. Did he get his pencil before he left? Or did he- I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, on October 6th, you know, two days later, mm-hmm. the news agency got another letter or postcard. Because this one's a postcard. Okay. And it's signed Jack the Ripper. Of course it is. Well, the police ended up asking is them. written to boss? We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> the police ended up asking them to not make this one public. <laughs> They're like, please, for the love of God, do not. <laughs> because it caused issues the last time. <laughs> like, better not. <laughs> wow. So the postcard read, I was not cotting dear old boss when I gave you the tip. 
you'll hear about saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know. Saucy Jackie? What is wrong? Is he drunk? What is he calling himself? He's sauced. <laughs> He's drunk right the police later. <laughs> you'll hear about saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit. Couldn't finish straight off. Had not the time to get ears for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. So clearly they're like, oh, well, this guy definitely is the guy. So on October 10th, mm -hmm. another suspicious man was seen lurking outside Lusk's house. There's so many su suspicious mans. Right. Shabby suspicious mans. Well, George reported him to the police as well. He was like, I'm sick and tired of all these people just showing up. It's really weird. It's right. awkward. Like, and I don't like get, it. Get away from my house. Shit. Well, two days later, George received his own letter. Oh, no. It makes me think of um, the Zodiac, too. Yeah. 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 Or that guy. Who is the guy that was, like, um, watching over the house? Like, these people moved in this house. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to shut up then because I might tell later. I might. <laughs> You'd have to tell me more. He like moved th these people moved in this house, and they kept getting these weird letters from the sky. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That claimed like he was the keeper of oh, the watcher of the house or Whatever. some shit like that. Yeah, he was fucking creep. I know. I know what creeper. you're talking. <laughs> I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, that's a good one. Anyways, back to Jack the Ripper. <laughs> so his letter to George said, "I write you a letter in black ink, as I have no more of the right stuff because it coagulated." <laughs> I think you are all asleep in Scotland Yard with your bloodhounds. As I will show you tomorrow night, Saturday, I am going to do a double event, but not in Whitechapel. What if the post ran late and they didn't get the letter until Sunday? <laughs> <I know. laughs> sorry. I could never get through the letter. <laughs> sorry. I'm just reacting. Got rather too warm there. Had to shift. No more till you hear me again jack the ripper so he's basically saying like he's moving away from the white chapel area and they won't hear from him for a while right so george was getting nervous now because he's like i'm getting a lot of attention and i'm getting motherfucking letters now okay <laughs> so this guy knows who i am <laughs> that damn pencil guy he's like god damn it <laughs> we should have never started this group right <laughs> we only did it so we could get together on on friday nights and drink and play poker <laughs> right so george ends up getting yet another postcard just a couple days later jeez say boss oh yeah <laughs> he's like mercy say <laughs> boss um you seem rare frightened stop looking at me though. guess he's like looking out his windows <laughs> peeping in your <laughs> peeping in your windows you seem rare frightened guess i'd like to give you fits but can't stop time enough to let your box of toys play copper games with me. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Jack. I don't speak weird. <laughs> <laughs> but hope to see you when I don't hurry much. Bye-bye, boss. Jack, you're drunk again. Like, stop <laughs> sending letters. <laughs> what you talking about? He's like, text drunk He's like drunk texting. <laughs> He's like a bad ex. No, won't go away. <laughs> Didn't I get a restraining order on you? <laughs> Okay, so on October 15th, okay, a Miss Marsh was working behind the counter in her father's leather shop at 218 Jubilee Street, which was close to the London Hospital. And a man dressed like a Slarek 
entered. Okay. I don't know what that is. A cleric. <laughs> read tonight. I like that. <laughs> I like that I can look over at your notes because we're beside each other and see what we try to pronounce. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> a slurring. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with me tonight? Okay. When a man dressed like a cleric entered. Okay. He was interested in the vigilance committee. Um, they had a reward poster that was displayed in the shop window, you know, okay. for whoever yeah. captured Jack the Ripper. And he questioned her about the address of George Lusk. Uh, bitch, no. <laughs> That's not your business. <laughs> what the fuck? He's like, hey, can you give me that address? And she's like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. No. <laughs> she, uh, Did she? No. Okay. So she actually told him to ask at the nearby Crown Pub, but the man told her that he didn't want to go to the pub. <laughs> he wanted her to tell her. <laughs> like, bitch, I don't know. <laughs> so then she got out a copy of like a recent newspaper. And found a report that had mentioned George's street, but... What the fuck is wrong with these newspaper reporters? I fucking Stop know. putting all this shit in the newspaper. Well, she, she's not a newspaper reporter. She's, no, but they put it in the newspaper. Oh, I know. street he lived on. I know. Um, but yeah, it, it said the street that he lived on, but not the, the house number. Right. So she was like, well, I mean, it's got a street. Well, when she did that, the man took it down in a notebook. And then he left. What the fuck? <laughs> right. So according to Miss Marsh, um, the man was of slim build. He was about mm, 45 years of age. Was he shabby? <laughs> <laughs> he was about six foot tall. He had a sallow complexion, dark beard and mustache. He spoke with what she thought sounded like an Irish accent. Okay. And he seemed to be a bit shabby. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... She described them all, you know, let him know. And then the very next day on October 16th, mm -hmm. George received a small package wrapped in brown paper. What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box, Brad Pitt? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, he received a small package wrapped in brown paper. It was addressed to him by name, had the name of the street. But not his house number. Oh so no, that it had to have been left at his door. What's in the box? Had a foul smell. Uh, this is literally from Seven. I know. That's why I said, <laughs> what's in the box, Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt's the one that says it. I know. <laughs> but I was saying it to him. <laughs> like, it's so funny. I, we got to pause that and, and go into when I first introduced my husband to that movie. Oh, gosh. So he had never seen it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's a really good movie. You've got to watch it. And he was saying, that's why I said, what's in the Brad box, Brad Pitt? Because he was saying to the screen, what's in the box, Brad Pitt? Oh, my God. I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, Brad Pitt doesn't say his own name when he's asking no my my husband okay said, that makes like, a what's sense. in the box brad pitt anyways um, well we're about to find out it sounds like is a foul smell mm -hmm. it's, it was stank <laughs> had a small letter handwritten that started out from hell this... so he's literally the axe man didn't his letter start with <laughs> yeah or it was like signed from hell or something or something like, like that, that. yeah, yeah. Well, this letter didn't just come with a letter. It contained half a kidney. Gross. Yeah. So the press actually thought it had to have been Catherine Eddowes because she was the one that was missing, missing a kidney. kidney. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what the letter read. It said, from hell, mm -hmm. Mr. Lusk, 
I send you half the kidney I took from one woman. I saved it for you. Tother piece. I, oh, the other. See, he, tother. No. Yeah, that's how, they, that's how they spoke back <laughs> I was like, the other. Yeah. Let's speak English. Tother piece. I fried and ate. It was very. Who it? It was very who it. It was very nice. No. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out. If you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lust. And catch me outside. Catch me outside. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so George originally thought it was like a sick joke. Like somebody was playing. A Why joke would on you him. think it's a sick joke? Well, as you know, there was several men that like lurked outside of his house. That's and true. Yeah. he was like, maybe people are just playing a joke on me because I'm the head of this committee right. and and they're thinking why not jokingly be morbid apparently let's, let's pull one over on old George <laughs> he yeah oh George um he thought the kidney was like a sheep or another animal right, like an animal kidney something. yeah so he took it to a Dr. Frederick Wiles um Frederick wasn't there but his assistant Dr. Reed which makes me think of Spencer Reed oh, I love Spencer Reed <laughs> But Dr. Reed examined the kidney and told him it was, in fact, human. Okay. So he's like, oh, what? Shit. <laughs> he said, oh, shit. All right. He's like, shit's getting real now. It's getting real deep out here. Real. Real. So on November 9th, 1888, at 1045 in the morning, another body was discovered lying on the bed in the single room where she lived. She was so this is the first one that's not in the streets right right okay um and count that so we've already gone through four mm -hmm. this is number this is five fifth. this is the fifth um she was 25 years old her name was mary jane kelly mm -hmm. she will be what's believed to be ripper's last victim mm -hmm. um she was also the most mutilated right. of the bunch uh, her face had been hacked beyond recognition. That sounds like rage and anger. It, it was awful. Um, I actually saw pictures and it was gross. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I hate it when that happens when I'm not ready. Yeah. Like when I'm researching and like pictures pop up and I wasn't I was like, looking for pictures. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. Like you got to warn somebody. <laughs> it was it was bad. Well, her throat was severed down to the spine. Ugh, okay. And abdomen was almost completely emptied of it, its organs. Okay. Um, her uterus, kidneys, and one breast had been placed beneath her head and her body. Her heart was missing from the crime scene. Nobody could find her heart. Mm -hmm. And then multiple ashes were actually found in the fireplace, which suggested that Kelly's murderer had burned several items to, like, eliminate the like, single of room yeah. of the mutilated, like, mutilating her body. And not only get rid of some of her evidence, I mean, her body's there, but, right. but to try to you know clear out the sound the smell all of what was going on okay um a recent fire had been so severe in her room that it was enough to melt the solder between a kettle and its spout which oh. actually had fallen into the grate of the fireplace dang so he burned so much that yeah he got the fire so hot yeah so all five of the murders were at night on or close to a weekend okay it happened at the end of a month or like a week into the beginning of the next month mm -hmm. 
and the mutilations became increasingly severe as a series of murders proceeded, except for that of the one woman that may have been interrupted. Okay. Stride. Right. Um, Nichols wasn't missing any organs. Um, Chapman's uterus and sections of her bladder and vagina were taken. Eddowes had her uterus and left kidney removed and her face mutilated. Mm-hmm. And then Kelly's body was so extensive with her face gashed in all directions and the tissue of her neck being severed to the bone yeah. and her heart actually being, you know, missing too. Right. So historically, the belief that these five murders were committed by the same person and that they were not victims that were planned. Okay. They were easily accessible. There was no similarities to these women except for the fact that they were sex workers. Okay. Age didn't matter, you know, type of color hair, eyes, you know, any of it. People they knew, nothing. Mm-hmm. It was literally unplanned, easily accessible. It's also noted that they believe Kelly was the last murder due to either the guy was captured and imprisoned. Right. Um, institutionalized was immigrated or even died right so there's you know so many so many possibilities so many what happened to him so the vast majority of the city of london police um their files relating to the investigation into the Whitechapel murders were destroyed in the blitz oh cool so the surviving metropolitan police files allowed a detailed view of the investigative procedures that happened in the victorian area era or whatever Mm -hmm. a large team of policemen conducted house-to-house inquiries throughout whitechapel inquiries 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 i I say inquiries (laughs) i don't care what you say i call it inquiries okay inquiries i don't care see i can't say it (laughs) that's why i say inquiries all right um forensic material was collected and examined and suspects were identified traced or either examined more closely or eliminated from the inquiry (laughs) the inquiry (laughs) (laughs) Um, modern police work um follows the same pattern like today's police work follows the same they rule out victims right yeah well more than two thousand people were interviewed it's a lot of people right and 300 people were investigated. Okay. 80 people were detained. Okay. And then following the murders of Stride and Eddowes, the commissioner of the city police, Sir James Fraser, offered a reward of $500 for the arrest of the Ripper. Butchers, slaughterers, surgeons, physicians were all suspected because of the manner of the mutilation. Right. In fact, they investigated so many of them <laughs> um there was actually a surviving note from major henry smith who was the acting commissioner of the city police that indicated that the alibis of all the local butchers and slaughters were investigated and the result eliminated them okay so at the end of october robert anderson who was the like one of the people on the case mm-hmm. he had asked um, the police surgeon Thomas Bond to give his opinion on the extent of the murderer's surgical skill and knowledge. Okay. The opinion offered by Thomas on the character of the Whitechapel murder was um, basically stating that all five murders, no doubt, were committed by the same hand. 
Um, in the first four, the throats appear to have been cut from left to right. In the last case, to the extensive mutilation, it's impossible to say in which direction yeah. you know, the fatal cut made. Um, but the blood was found on the wall and splashes close to where the women's head must have been lying and all the circumstances surrounding the murders led them to form the opinion that the woman must have been lying down when murdered and in every case the throat was the first cut they did not believe that it was a surgeon though okay so um with that being said the concentrations that the killings were around weekends and public holidays and were a short distance of each other was thought that the ripper had regular employment and lived locally Okay. at the time so a few of the suspects that were in the documents included um thomas cutbush he was one that was actually investigated multiple times mm-hmm. um carl fagenbaum this one this next one um he he was one that people really had their eye on and it was aaron kosminski okay i don't know if you've heard that name but it sounds familiar yeah George Chapman, James Maybrick, and then last but not least, H. H. Holmes. Okay. Um, there's many, many more, but right. those were just there was so many suspects. Yeah. I mean, they literally questioned any guy that was dressed shabbily or well apparently all of London. <laughs> so basically everybody. <laughs> if you were a guy, you were a suspect. <laughs> and you were dressed. <laughs> there were so many ridiculous amount of theories. Um, we could do a whole second segment just on the many different theories right. that were stated, but Crystal has a small surprise for you all. So that was Jack the Ripper and I'm going to go into my case now. So let's just get into it. You ready? Herman Webster Mudgett. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> go ahead. What's wrong with you? <laughs> We're just going to get into it. Herman Webster <laughs> Mudgett. Herman Webster Mudgett was born May 16th, 1861 in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. New Hampshire? New Hampshire? So we had a way to say that. I say Hampshire. It is Just Hampshire. like I say inquiry. I just say Hampshire too. I don't know why I said Shire. <laughs> um, his parents were both descended from the first English immigrants in that area. So his father came from a farming family and he worked various trade jobs throughout the years. And all in all, accounts showed that Herman had a pretty privileged childhood. Like, he wasn't, like, wanting for anything. He wasn't shabby. (laughs) He was not shabby. Now, with that being said, his father was an alcoholic who was known to be a very strict disciplinarian. And his mother was a devout Methodist who preached Bible scripture to him, like, on the daily. He was all, all, he was also bullied often as a young child because kids are mean. We know this. Kids are assholes. (laughs) Kids are literal assholes. Um, It was known that he was afraid to go to the local doctor, which happened. (laughs) That sounds like every man. (laughs) That's like the man flu. Every man. Yes. (laughs) Also, that happens to a lot of kiddos. Like at my work, we have tons of kiddos that every time they come in, they like freak out because they're just scared to be there. They don't know what's going to happen. So one day, the mean bully kids were outside playing or like terrorizing the town or whatever it is that mean bully kids do. And they thought, well, they found a human skeleton oh what the fuck (laughs) okay and they're like you know what's gonna be hilarious if we bring little herman here and we show him this skeleton and then we force him to touch it like he would totally freak out that'd be hilarious oh my god because kids are mean right what's wrong with these assholes 
Right. Well, this plan backfired in a big way because he was not terrified. He, he was, was like, like oh, cool. super interested in it. Yes. He was strangely fascinated, which is, that's not a good sign. All the other kids were like, oh, that's, that's not what was supposed to happen. <laughs> They're like, shit, what the fuck's wrong with Harmon? Um, Everybody run. <laughs> he was said to be unusually intelligent at a very young age. And after seeing and touching the skeleton, he decided that he wanted to pursue a career in medicine. Okay. So everyone's like, okay, cool. Little Harmon is super smart. And now he's going to grow up and be like a doctor and make something of himself. That's cool. Doctors, serial killers. <laughs> right. He definitely made a name for himself, but not in a way that they wanted. So his interest in medicine led him to begin his career at a young age by trapping animals and practicing surgeries on them. Oh, so he's Jeffrey Dahmer. And often dissecting them. <laughs> right. Like we've said before, if you have a small child and you find out they're performing surgeries on animals or killing them like let's do something about that people let's yeah. not look the other way <laughs> like actually say something like your kid is becoming a serial killer go to some counseling or something. <laughs> like get help nip that in the butt it's not normal <laughs> so rumor has it that herman may have even been responsible for the death of a childhood playmate oh yeah there's lots of accounts i saw that saw that like said that but they didn't like go into details mm. so who knows if it's just rumors or what it's not good it is not a good rumor to go. That's a be. really bad rumor. <laughs> Floating around. So he graduated high school at the age of 16 because he was super smart. And he, besides his fascination with like medicine and um, dissecting animals, he also had an early fascination in the ladies. Oh, well. Vomitous. So he's a ladies man. <laughs> so after graduating, he was working odd jobs when he met Clara Levering. He was working on her father's farm when he met her. And was immediately infatuated with her. That's how it always happens in those times. Like they'd be, they'd be helping the, the girl's father. And they're like, oh, I'm going to marry her. I'm going to marry that girl. So soon after meeting her, they were both attending the same church social. When Herman noticed that Clara was flirting with another boy. Oh God, that Clara. That whore. <laughs> so this infuriated him and he marched right over and he told the other guy that if he didn't get lost, he was going to punch his lights out. Oh, <laughs> this sounds, that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> well, the guy left and Clara was impressed by his like passion towards her. Oh. So they left the social together. Yeah. So it was like Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> this is going well. <laughs> First is Jeffrey Dahmer. Now it's Bonnie and Clyde. It's all these things. So the next day, um, <laughs> this does not sound like Johnny and June. <laughs> this is not Johnny and June. <laughs> the next day, Herman was telling everyone that he and Clara were engaged. Mm. Just the very next day, like, calm down there, fella. You just met this girl. <laughs> she just said she was cool. She was like, oh, that's cool. We're engaged. Maybe we should hang out. Call we are it. getting married, guys. <laughs> like, maybe you should get to know each other a little bit, but you do you, whatever. Um, at the age of 17, he and Clara were married by the Justice of the Peace uh -huh. on July 4th, 1878. America. America. <laughs> For the first six months, the marriage was kept a secret, and they each lived separately, like, with their own parents. Because the they were 17. What the fuck? So when the then who married them? The justice of the peace. But how is that okay? Is what I'm saying. So the secret marriage was finally revealed. And Herman's mother said, she couldn't have done much worse. And she'll probably have to support you. Oh, damn. <laughs> so that's harsh. Like, what the hell? Mama just said, you a loser. <laughs> Clara's father arranged for Herman to work at his brother's grocery store. And nine months later, 
little Robert Lovering Mudgett was born. What the? <laughs> what kind of name is that? <laughs> well, Robert and then Lovering is hers and Mudgett is his. <laughs> Um, after, after the birth of his son, Herman decided he was going to pursue his dream of working in medicine. So he took up an apprenticeship at, under a Dr. Wright, and he had Claire and Robert go live with her parents while he like went through his studies and got on his feet and all that junk. So at the age of 18, he enrolled in the University of Vermont in Burlington. During this time, he told everyone that he was a single fella, you know, just just a bachelor out there oh, what a going liar. through med school. What a lying liar. What a little lying scumbag. So he started dating his landlord's daughter. Oh, hell fucking no. <laughs> hell no. And they got so serious that there were rumors going around that they were engaged. Oh, you little cheating asshole. <laughs> but then Herman's roommate, Fred Ingvall, re- revealed that he was actually already married. He was like, um, hey, girl. This this boy already married. He married. He got a son. He got a son. Bitch, get out of here. So after <laughs> fighting out Robert Loving, <laughs> Mudget, <laughs> Mudget. <laughs> after finding out that Fred had outed him, Herman confronted him, like pissed off, and by confronted him, I mean that Fred was left with a black eye. Like Herman, like kicked mm. his ass. Well, Herman kicked his ass. <laughs> That's why I started laughing. I heard it when I said it. I still love it because all I can think of is like Thurman, Thurman, Thurman. <laughs> you want a sandwich? You want a sandwich? Oh, okay. So meanwhile, he lived in like this boarding house. Like I think that was basically like the dormitory for the college, or whatever. Well, the wife of the owner of the boarding house noticed a foul stench coming from Herman's room. Ew. So she, All these dead animals up in his room. Right? So she decided she should investigate to find the source of the smell. She was horrified to discover the dead body of a baby under his bed. Wait, what? That escalated, yes. That is not an animal. That is not an animal. <laughs> he was like, oh, no, it's cool. You see? Like, I'm, I'm studying and experimenting dissections that's like a big part of my homework right now so that's all i'm doing here like it's no biggie like this is this is fine and she was just like okay but don't bring any more dead bodies here like find somewhere else to do your dissections <laughs> your face she just said okay like just don't do it here like, don't don't do it here. oh okay cool can you just like not dissect babies bodies here can you take great. it to like, like the t- woods in the back or like something? take your homework somewhere else that's nasty <laughs> that's a lot of things what that is, is a lot of things it's not just na- that's homework. well he didn't bring any more bodies there because he decided that he was quote unsatisfied with the university of vermont because the lady told, her, told him he could not dissect any more bodies there. Right. So he left the school and he then enrolled in medical school at the University of Michigan. This time he took Clara and Robert with him because he, you know, he's still married, even though he's screwing around. Mm. So their marriage is already on shaky ground. Other residents of the boarding house that they lived at said that the couple argued often and Clara would often have black eyes. Oh, he's a woman beater and a woman cheater. Mm-hmm. Little woman cheater, woman beater. Little fucker. At one point, she eventually finally had enough, and she took Robert and moved back to New Hampshire, like with her parents. You go, girl. You go. Get little Robert and get out of there. So now he's like, cool. Now I don't have a family here to distract me. I want to throw myself deep into my studies <laughs> and whatever else I can find. Um, he developed what some of his classmates would later call an unnatural and unnerving fascination with dissecting human remains. 
he again began taking the bodies of babies home to study on he got a job in how is he getting these bodies right so he got a job in the anatomy lab under professor herdman and that was the chief anatomy instructor and so he worked in like the morgue in the anatomy lab so they had all these cadavers that medical students would work on this is when his life of crime began with various scams and fraud so he actually paid his way through school through a series of insurance scams he would um take out life insurance policies on non-existent people and then he would steal cadavers from the school morgue and dissect them and study them and then when he was finished with that he would disfigure the bodies and then claim that they had been involved in some kind of like terrible accident so he could collect the insurance money on these fake people oh my god yeah another big scandal from his college days involved him dating another woman again while still married to his wife because that's what he did according to this woman he had proposed to her and they were going to get married then one day she found a letter addressed to herman that was signed your wife clara and this upset the woman she was like who, who the fuck is this like you didn't who your wife you didn't tell me you were married like we're supposed to be getting married what the fuck so she was so upset about this that she complained to the medical school fact- faculty and they were going to not let him graduate. Like they were going to kick him out of school, but they didn't. Like it oh, escalated they real were big. Like, oh, you're a cheater? Well, we're just going to take this. Right. She was like, this is a breach of promise. Y'all should kick him out of school. And they're like, no, nah, girl, like calm down. It's fine. We know that he's a good guy, whatever. Gets pretty good grades. So he was like, thanks, y'all. And he finished and he graduated. And when he was handed his diploma, he said, quote, doctor, those things that woman said about me are true. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, thank you for letting me graduate. By the way, she was right. Right. Sucker. And then he took his <laughs> diploma. He took his diploma and he left. He's like, peace out. Peace out, bitches. So. So after graduation, he moved to Moore's Fork, New York. He began working as both a physician and a school teacher. He quickly gained the reputation as not only a womanizer, but also a debt falter. So those are not good reputations. (laughs) He would continuously use a series of excuses to get out of paying his rent. He just like did all these different little scams and frauds. Um, A young boy disappeared from the area and rumors quickly spread around that someone had seen the boy with Herman not long before he disappeared. Oh, God. (laughs) Right. So Herman was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that boy was not with me. Also, I have this mountain of unpaid debt, and I was just leaving town. So bye. <laughs> so he he dipped, and he moved to Philadelphia. He got a job at Norristown State Hospital, but for some reason, he quit after just a few days. Like, I didn't see why. And then he got a job at a drugstore, and he worked there for a while. Well, then word spread around that a young boy had suddenly died after taking some medicine that was purchased at the drugstore while Herman was working there. Good night. (laughs) So he was like, that was not me. And he left town. (laughs) He's like, everything just keeps following me. Right. Like, don't, don't be suspicious. Like, (laughs) don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Throughout all of this time, he had again been steadily just building up this mountain of debt and scamming people left and right. So he officially changed his name to the name that he'd been using for most of his insurance scams, Henry Howard Holmes, a.k.a. H.H. Holmes. So now we're going to call him Holmes instead of Herman. Little Thurman Norman. So Holmes left Philadelphia and he went to Chicago in May of 1886. 
He was like, I'm going to go work at a drugstore, but I really need to have a pharmacy license to do that. So he went to Springfield and took a three-day examination. Okay. Because that's all you need to do, apparently. I mean, I mean, he went to med school first, but. I was going to say, but he did get, I was going to say, he got his diploma at college. So maybe he just, that's all he had to have. Right. So it was announced in the newspaper, because the newspapers announce everything, Mm -hmm. that Henry H. Holmes had passed the bar exam. And they probably shouldn't have done that, but they passed him. So he soon met a woman named Myrda Belknap, and the two of them hit it off. So Myrda's family had money. Lots of money. That's why they hit it off. That's why they hit it off. Holmes was always looking for his next he big scam. The, yes. He's debt. He got debt. Yep, he got the debt. He needs this girl to pay off. So, so he wooed her. He was like, woo-woo, come here. <laughs> woo, I'm wooing you. Come, come hither. Woo-woo. <laughs> and they got married in 1887. I've never heard somebody <laughs> I'm wooing you. I'm wooing you. <laughs> so they got married in 80, 1887 while he was still married to Clara. So that's Does cool. he ever divorced her? He's officially a bigamist now. No. <laughs> he never divorced her. So he supposedly filed for divorce, claiming that Clara was unfaithful to him. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but nothing ever came of it. Like, they were still married until, like, he died. They were never officially divorced. So Holmes and Myrda had a daughter named Lucy in 1889. And thanks to his new family inheritance, the three of them were able to live in the upscale Chicago suburb. 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 The suburb. The suburb of Wilmette. <laughs> but Holmes didn't really spend much time there with his second family because he spent most of his time in the city tending to quote unquote business. What business does he have as he's a, a pharmaceutical? He's a businessman. <laughs> so he soon found work in a pharmacy that was owned by Dr. Elizabeth S. Holton. And Holmes proved to be a hardworking employee, and Holton found him to be an ideal asset for the business. When she got pregnant with her second child, she decided it was time for her to move on from the pharmacy business, and she sold it to Holmes. She was like, this is your pharmacy now. Here you go. Here you go. There are some H.H. Holmes myths that I saw that say that (laughs) Holton and her husband suddenly vanished, and that's how he got the pharmacy, but like he actually legit bought it. Like, for money that he'd scammed people out of. But, mm. yes, he bought it. <laughs> like, the Holdens lived well into the 20th century. So, that didn't happen. So, now he's got this drugstore and business is going well. And young women are flocking in to be served by the handsome new doctor that owns the drugstore. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you nasty. <laughs> you nasty. Did you know he used to dissect babies? Ba- Did ba- you know he's still married? <laughs> to two women? <laughs> to two women. <laughs> He also purchased. Did you know that his that <laughs> his name is Herman? <laughs> Did you know that his name is Herman? Did you know That's it? so cute now, huh? I'm sorry, anybody named Herman out there. <laughs> so, <laughs> you lose my place. <laughs> he also purchased an empty lot across from the drugstore, and he put ownership of this lot under his wife's Mirna's name. Not Clara, Myrda. <laughs> I was like, which, which wife? wife? <laughs> then he changed it to under her mother's name. So like his mother-in-law's name because creditors started calling them. Yeah. So they wouldn't be suspicious. <laughs> right. Don't, don't be suspicious. So <laughs> he didn't want anyone to become suspicious because he had big plans for this lot. Enter the H.H. Holmes castle. <laughs> <laughs> So he planned on building a two-story building 
with retail space at the bottom that he could rent out and like make money on big dreams and then residential apartments slash hotel rooms on the top floor that he could like rent out so he could make and make money money on (laughs) because he's all about that cash so construction began in 1887 and it lasted until 1892 now this building looked super normal on the outside but it was anything but normal the first floor was retail spaces including a new pharmacy and then the top floor was like these living spaces that he could rent out but there was a hidden floor in the middle of these two floors how do you have a hidden floor in the middle? I'm going to tell you. Okay. Because <laughs> that just, that's weird, but okay. So it's a three-story building. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how does somebody not notice when they're walking up that there's a whole ass floor? Because it's a hidden ass floor. So this was his favorite floor. His idea for this floor included several odd designs that made no sense to the builders and the workers when they were like making it. So he's like, I need a secret place. <laughs> So like so secret, <laughs> none of my wives know about right. it. <laughs> Bitch, none of your wives know anything about anything that you're doing. <laughs> they, they're definitely not, they're definitely not like me. <laughs> I'd be all up in his business. <laughs> I'd be like, who's that? Who's texting you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. And AJ Jones would be like, new phone, who did? <laughs> I'd be like, who, who, who just adds you on the facey space? <laughs> So Holmes's idea for this floor included several odd designs that made no sense to the builders and workers already said that. And so no one would get suspicious and start questioning what was up. He would often fire the workers, like in the middle of building. So they couldn't like figure out his plans. And this you are way, fired. I don't have anybody to build my just, secret he would just floor. Get new workers. <laughs> so this worked out for him because this was also a way that he could get out of paying for the work that they had already done. Because he was always trying to scam somebody. So he would just say you're doing a shitty job you're fired and i'm not gonna pay you and then he'd hire somebody else to pick up where they left off (laughs) so nobody knew what the fuck he was doing and also he wasn't have to pay anybody (laughs) um builders at etna iron and steel actually sued him in 1888 but holmes claimed that he wasn't liable because the building was actually owned by his mother-in-law so (laughs) oh you little bitch (laughs) you little bitch ass bitch they were like okay and this and now this is the reason mother-in-laws have such bad reps so they were like okay that's cool but like you've been running this entire build and he's like well whatever either way one of the beams that you brought me was too short so that negates any kind of contract we had so good day sir (laughs) can you prove that they take their tape measure out (laughs) same motherfucking height bitch (laughs) i said good day (laughs) i said good day (laughs) so he also had a, a habit of buying things on credit and either selling them for cash and not paying the bill are just straight up like not paying for it all <laughs> like this is mine now so <laughs> for example for example he bought this giant ass safe on credit like a big ass safe okay and he had it installed on the first floor of the building now by installed i mean he had them build big walls around it like build it into all these walls so when he didn't pay for it the repo guy showed up and he's like yeah sure you can take the safe just like don't don't damage my building and so the Rebo guys struggled for hours to try to get the safe out. And they finally realized the only way they could get it out was like by knocking one of these walls down. Oh, so they had no choice but to just leave it. He is a trickster. Yep. He's smart. And he's smart. So he, they just left it and he never paid for it. He's like, that's my motherfucking safe now. <laughs> Bitch. 
<laughs> take my safe. Take my safe. <laughs> so how did he get into the safe? Is there enough of a spot for him to get into? Like it? you could open the door. Like he could open the door. Like the door part was open, but like oh, it was okay. built into like all the other walls around it. Like <laughs> they could not get it out unless they knocked the wall down. So now I'm going to get back to the odd designs of the building. Okay. There were 60 rooms in the building and 51 doors that were oddly placed in walls, ceilings, and floors. Wait, doors in yeah. the ceiling? Yeah. There was, so like I said, there was the. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> there confused. was. <laughs> you did a great job of that. Yeah. They were just in the ceiling and the walls and whatever. So, like I said, there was the middle hidden floor. Mm-hmm. Okay. There was a staircase between the floors that could only be reached from a trap door in the second story bathroom. The third story, I guess. What everybody thought was the second story. There was a trap door and you go down these stairs and that's how you get into this like hidden third compartment with all this hidden floor. You look so confused. <laughs> so <laughs> on this middle floor, there were doorways that opened to brick walls. Just nothing but a brick wall behind them. There were countless windowless rooms. There were stairs that led to nowhere at all, secret passageways, soundproof rooms, trapdoors, and chutes that were large enough to fit a body that led down to the basement. He also had gas jets installed into the walls in one of the rooms. Oh my God. Super casual, you know, that's just normal. Construction was finally complete in 1892, just in time for the World Fair in Chicago that happened in 1893. So he'd like planned this timing out because he intended to rent rooms to like all these people that had come in town for the fair. He's like, oh, I'm going to make all this money. I'm going to rent rooms to these people. Also, I have victims (laughs) because they're from out of town. So this brings us to the murders. One of Holmes's earliest victims is believed to be one of his mistresses named Julia Smythe. Remember, he still has two wives. Right. Julia was the wife of Ned Connor, a man who had moved into Holmes's castle and was working at the jewelry counter in the pharmacy. So, so he, so his wife was the nasty one. Julia cheating was on cheating. Her. Julia was cheating on Ned, and Holmes was cheating on literally every single body. <laughs> <laughs> Who's he even with anymore? Everybody. <laughs> so Ned find out about find out Ned found out about Julia's affair with Holmes, and he was like, "This is bullshit." He quit his job and he moved away leaving Julia and her eight-year-old daughter, Pearl, behind. So Julia was like, cool. Now we don't have to hide a relationship. He's like, shit, I'm still married. (laughs) (laughs) She listed herself as co-founder of a number of different businesses that Holmes had started. And she let him take out numerous, like, debts in her name. Well, after a while, Holmes was like, listen, Julia, I already have two wives and two kids that I don't really want around. (laughs) So, yeah. So then Julia and Pearl disappeared on Christmas Eve of 1891 and were never seen again. Holmes later claimed that Julia had died during an abortion and then he never explained what happened to Pearl and what happened, nothing was confirmed. Like they never confirmed what happened to either one of them. Neither of their bodies were ever found. Oh my God. So soon after Julia and Pearl disappeared, Holmes decided he was going to start yet another new business called the Warner Glass Bending Company. He was like, y'all, I've invented this really awesome new glass bending technique, and I just need to get a really big-ass furnace to keep in the basement so I can, like, bend my glass. (laughs) Or burn bodies. (laughs) Right. And also, there's these mysterious chutes that lead down here. It's cool. Whatever. So, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start bending glass. And everybody was like, yeah, that's cool. Like, new technique. Cool. Cool, cool. Except nobody ever actually saw him bend glass. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) And he actually didn't know anything about bending glass or 
invent anything at all. <laughs> he just wanted a big ass furnace in his basement. <laughs> I just need a furnace to keep my uh, my <laughs> place warm. That would have been better, right? Like that was a. <laughs> you could have just said i am cold i need a heater instead i'm gonna bend glass you're never gonna see me bend glass nor have any bend glass stuff around that you could purchase that but i need this furnace to do that that was an elaborate story <laughs> that's the worst lie ever oh my god so after installing the furnace, <laughs> several other young women began to disappear more frequently under mysterious circumstances during their time at the castle. So Emmeline Sigrande came to Chicago looking for work in May of 1892. Holmes was like, hey girl, hi, I need a typewriter girl to work for me. A typewriter girl? Yeah. For what? To Invoices <laughs> on his bending glass. His glass bending company, yeah. And she was like, sweet, I can type. <laughs> so she started working for him. But then in December of that same year, she suddenly disappeared and was never seen again. He was like, he, he literally gave an excuse. He was like, she is in Europe getting married. Like that was his whole explanation. <laughs> okay. He's like really bad at lying. <laughs> so over a period of three years, things escalated quickly. Holmes selected female victims from lovers to hotel guests to even his employees. So he would even require employees to take out life insurance policies as a condition of employment. Oh, so he just started doing that now. Yeah, he was like, if you want to work here, we need to take out some life insurance on you. But don't worry, I'll pay for it since I'm like requiring you to have it. You just have to list me as the beneficiary. <laughs> and I need you to do this because I have to employ you and it's to, you know, back me up because that makes sense. Right. So he would select women and he would torture and kill them. Some were locked in soundproof bedrooms fitted with gas lines that per permitted him to asphyxiate them at any time. That's awful. Some victims were locked in a huge bank vault near his office so he could sit and listen as they screamed, panicked, and eventually suffocated. The victims' bodies were often sent down the secret chute to the basement where some were meticulously dissected, stripped of flesh, and crafted into skeleton mod models that he would then sell to medical schools in the area. So he's making money that way. Holmes also cremated some of the bodies in his big ass furnace. <laughs> or he would place them in lime pits to dissolve the bodies. He also had pits of acid, bottles of various poisons, and even a stretching rack. You know, that like medieval torture thing. Yes, that would, that would stretch. Yes. Stretch you until you literally broke yes. apart. Yes. He even later claimed to have used starvation and burning victims alive as methods of torture and murder in his castle. Like... He treated all of this as like experiments, basically like because he was trying to be a doctor, right? He was he was just experimenting and learning, and this is science, and also you're murdering all these people. Oh my god, terrible! Home, this is this part is awful. Like it's all awful, but this is awful too. Holmes picked one of the most remote rooms in the castle to perform hundreds of illegal abortions. Ah, uh, like so, like would he impregnate them then? I think. Most of the time, he would just find pregnant victims oh, okay. and practice performing abortions on them. Like, even if it wasn't people that were, like, coming to him wanting an abortion, like, he would just find victims. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they didn't even want one, and he would just do it anyways. Right. A lot of these patients died as a result of his procedure, and their corpses were also processed, and the skeletons were sold. When the World Fair ended in October of, eight, of 1893? No. 1883. Or 1983. <laughs> I was like, no, it's not in 1983. <laughs> So 1883, 
Helms decided it was time to move on and leave Chicago. There was like a ton of creditors that were after him because apparently if you don't pay for shit, then they get real mad. Right. <laughs> so he decided he would set the castle on fire so he could collect insurance money, you know, as he does. He's like, there's nobody in this building anyways, except for the long-term residents that I haven't tortured and killed yet. So I'm just going to torture. Oh my God. <laughs> Luckily, firefighters were able to put the fire out before too much damage was done. <laughs> He's like, fuck. <laughs> right. So, but he still was like filing a claim for it for like damages that were done. And this claim would go through the courts for like years and years um, with insurance companies pressing to prosecute him for arson. He was like, oh, I got to go. So he left Chicago. He reappeared in Fort Worth, Texas, where he inherited property from the Williams sisters. These were two railroad heiresses that he met and had promised to marry one of them. But instead, he ended up killing both of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> but first, he got their monies. Um, here, he once again attempted to build an incomplete structure without paying, like, contractors and builders and stuff. He's like, I'm gonna he just, just kept firing. He's like, I'm just going to build a new murder castle and just pick up. But they were like, nah, son, like, you got to pay us. <laughs> so he quickly abandoned this new project after he found out, that, like, the Texas law enforcement, like, didn't play that shit. <laughs> They were like, no, you got to pay up front. <laughs> you have to pay. So he started traveling across the country and into Canada some. Like, let's see, he went to Denver, Colorado, and there he found him a 23-year-old named Georgiana Yoke, and she had a $2,000 inheritance. So him being the sleazeball that he was, he just went ahead and married her, too. So he's still married to Claire and Myrda. <laughs> and now he has 15 wives. Because he's literally the worst. <laughs> In July of 1894, Holmes was arrested in St. Louis for the first time. And he was charged with selling mortgage goods. So while incarcerated, he shared a cell with Marion Hedgepeth, who was a convict that was serving a 25-year sentence. And he told Hedgepeth that he had this plan to get ten thousand dollars out of insurance company by faking his own death so he's like hey hedgepeth i'm gonna give you five hundred dollars if you like give me the name of a good lawyer that i can work with so i can pull this off and he's like sure bro like i know this lawyer named jephtha howell <laughs> who jephtha 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 <laughs> like jimison <laughs> jimison so after his release from prison, Holmes attempted the scam, but it didn't work. The insurance company got like super suspicious and he like didn't press it. He's like, okay, like I'm not going to push this, but he was <laughs> determined. So he decided to try again, but this time he would fake the death of this friend that he had that he met a few years back named Benjamin Pit Pitzel. What do we say? It was Pitzel? We looked this up. Yeah. It was Pitzel? Yeah. I think so. Benjamin Pitzel. So Benjamin agreed to fake his own death so that his wife could collect a $10,000 life insurance policy. And then she was supposed to sp split the money with Holmes and, and Jephthah. <laughs> so the plan was that Benjamin was going to set himself up as an inventor, because they're all inventors, I don't know, an inventor named B.F. Perry. And then he was going to be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. So they're going to have a slab blow up. He's going to get killed. Wife's going to get the money. They'll split it. Cool, cool. So Holmes was supposed to find an appropriate cadaver to play the role of Benjamin, but instead he was like, we have to make this real to get the payoff. Oh my God. <laughs> so he killed Benjamin by knocking him unconscious with chloroform and then setting his body on fire. In his confession later, Holmes implied that Benjamin was still alive after he used the chloroform on him, 
before he set on fire. However, forensic evidence presented at Holmes's trial later showed that the chloroform had been administered after Benjamin's death. So they think that he did this so that he could like fake that maybe Benjamin had killed himself or something like that in case they decided that they were on to him and going to try to charge him for this. Hmm. Yeah, it's a weird thing. So, but he's weird with all the things he does. So Holmes collected the insurance payout on the basis of like the genuine corpse of Benjamin. Like, like there was no fake in that. He was dead. <laughs> hey, sorry about your loss. I'm going to need part of that money now. Right. So he went on to manipulate Benjamin's unsuspecting wife into allowing her to place three of their five children in his custody. Oh my God. He was like, he was good friends with this guy supposedly. And they got this insurance money. And he was like, well, that sucks that he died. Here's some of the money. Also, you got five kids. Let me let me just watch these three for a while, you know, until you get on your feet. Whatever. So it's, he's got Alice, Nellie, and Howard. So the oldest daughter and the baby remained with the wife. Holmes and the three Pitizel children traveled throughout the northern United States and into Canada. Simultaneously, he escorted um, Mrs. Pitizel along a parallel route. The whole time using various aliases and lying to her concerning her husband's death like he didn't tell her that he was actually dead well he didn't tell her that he had done it like it was supposed to be an accident so the whole time they're traveling he's going on this parallel route and he's like lying to her about the whereabouts of her three kids she's like oh where's my kids and he's like oh he's just making stories about where they were oh i left them with this person or i left them this person whatever so she doesn't know where kids are in detroit just before entering canada Mrs. Pitizel and her three children were only separated by a few blocks and they never knew it. Isn't that sad? Oh my gosh. Yes. Holmes would later confess to murdering Alice and Nellie by forcing them into a large trunk and locking them inside. He drilled a hole into the lid of the trunk and put a hose through one in the hole. And then he attached the other end of the hose to a gas line to asphyxiate the girls. Like, why does he, what's his obsession with killing people? He's fucking psychotic. Like, he just kills them to kill them now. It's not even for science. Right, you're just, you're just a dick. (laughs) He then buried their bodies in the cellar of his rental house at 16th Street, at 16th Street, Vincent Street. That's a weird address. In Toronto. (laughs) 16th Street, Vincent Street. Um, Today, this home and address no longer exist. Frank Geyer, a Philadelphia police detective that was later assigned to investigate Holmes and find the three missing children, ended up finding the decomposed body- bodies of the two pedestal girls in the cellar of that Toronto home. So he did end up finding them. Detective Geyer wrote, the deeper we dug, the more horrible the odor became. And when we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the bone of the forearm of a human being. He then went to Indianapolis, where Holmes had rented a cottage, and it was reported that Holmes had visited a local pharmacy, and that's where he purchased drugs that he used to kill little Howard Pittizzle. He then went to a repair shop to sharpen the knives that he used to chop up the body before he burned it. So the boy's teeth and bits of his bone were discovered in the Holmes chimney. Oh, Yeah. So Holmes's murder spree finally ended when he was arrested in Boston on November 17th, 1894, after being tracked down from there from Philadelphia, after being tracked down there from Philadelphia by the Pinkerton National Detective Agency. So they had been tracking him for a while, like since he was in Texas. And 
he was held when they found him they held him on out an outstanding warrant for the for a horse theft in texas because the authorities had become more suspicious after tracking him like he stole these horses and they left and they're like okay well we got to find him he stole these horses and then as they're following him the more they follow him the more like suspicious stuff they see going on they're like what the fuck is he doing and then along their investigation they were led to hedgepath the one that he met in prison that they were going to fake mm-hmm. Holmes's death and hedgepath had no problem telling them all about the plan for the insurance money because he was pissed because he found out that Holmes cut him out of the deal when he did that with Pet- Pitazil. So he's like, I was supposed to be a part of this and you cut me out, but, but you included Jephthah, but you left me out. <laughs> Jephthah. <laughs> so when they caught up with him, it appeared that he was ready to leave the country with his third wife. And let's see, the, the Pitazil girls' bodies were discovered in July of 1895. And then in October of 1895, Holmes was put to trial for the murder of Benjamin Pitazil. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. And by then, it was evident that he had also mur- murdered the three missing children. So following this conviction, Holmes confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto. Though some people he confessed to murdering were like found still alive, like they weren't dead. But also, there's, through all the like stuff that people study and stuff, people are thinking that he may have killed up to like 200 people in this castle of like all these people that came into town for the fair and then were never seen again like there right. was all these people that just disappeared were never seen again there's no like nobody knows the real number of how many people were killed so he confessed to these murders whatever and he was paid seventy five hundred dollars by the hearst newspapers in exchange for his confession which he gave but then he like quickly retracted it he's like no 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 jk but where's my money though <laughs> so <laughs> He gave various contradictory accounts of his life, initially claiming innocence, and then later he said that he was possessed by Satan. Oh, okay. So here's a little A.J. Holmes quote for you. So he said, I was born with the devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer, no more than a poet can help the inspiration to sing. On May 6, 1896, Holmes was hanged at the Mayo Mensing Prison which is also known as the Philadelphia County Prison, for the murder of Benjamin Pitazel. Until the moment of his death, Holmes remained calm. He did, however, ask for his coffin to be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep because he was concerned that grave robbers would steal his body and use it for dissection. <laughs> because, you know, that's what normal people do. Like <laughs> People do that. Um, when Holmes was hanged, his neck did not break instantly like it's supposed to. So instead, he slowly was strangled to death, and it took over 15 minutes for him to stop twitching, and then 20 minutes before they pronounced him dead. I mean, good. Upon his execution, his body was interred in an unmarked grave at the Holy Cross Cemetery, a Catholic cemetery in in Philadelphia, Um, and it was encased in concrete, as he had requested. There are a ton of theories that Holmes wasn't actually hanged and that he escaped and faked his own death and that was someone else. People were like serious about this. They were like, this was not Holmes. So in 2017, they exhumed his body to test it. So due to his coffin being contained in the cement, his body was found to not have decomposed normally. His clothes were almost perfectly preserved and his mustache was still intact. Oh, that's creepy. That's so creepy. When I saw that, I was like, ugh. <laughs> So the body was positively identified by his teeth as being that of Holmes. And then he was reburied. So like, no, it was him. Like he didn't escape. So that is that on H.H. Holmes. And I'm going to end this with the little theory that I found that combines the two cases that we both just covered. Okay. So 
The great-great-grandson of H.H. Holmes, attorney Jeff Mudgett, he believes that Holmes was actually Jack the Ripper. So Jeff wrote a memoir in 2011 called Bloodstains that connects Jack the Ripper, Jack the Ripper, that was a weird, <laughs> and H.H. Holmes. So he says that some time ago, he inherited a pair of diaries from his grandfather, and apparently the diaries had come from Mudgett's great-great-grandfather, Herman Webster Mudgett, a.k.a. H.H. Holmes. So handwriting analysis confirmed that these diaries were actually written by him. And according to at least one of the diaries, he wrote that he was in London at the height of the Ripper killings. However, he was not alone. He had an acquaintance with him that was like along for training sessions, so like an apprentice. Hmm. So this apprentice was tasked with finding random prostitutes and murdering them with excessive brutality. Now, when we think about it, at first glance, H.H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper appear to be completely different murderers. Like, right. their M.O.s do not look similar at all. We've got the popular image of Jack the Ripper, like, prowling the streets with a big knife and all that stuff. Um, whereas Holmes was much more methodical and cunning. And they, and, Secretive. Yeah, and Jack was just kind of like, here's my spur, opportunity, spur, spur of the moment. moment. Well, if you actually think about it, they do have certain similarities. So... Holmes had the medical training in dissection and organ removal. Right. He probably could take out organs in seconds, even though, even in the dark, because he had done it so, so, so much. Some investigators think that the Ripper even had a little bit of medical knowledge. True. Um, Holmes was, like we said, the master of pre premeditated murder. And sometimes he spent many months, like, planning and scheming and whatever. He was an entrepreneur and often killed his victims to sell bodies sell their bodies for study or collect on their insurance policies like he would even like enter long relationships with people just to end up killing them later right so contrary to popular belief jack the ripper also planned his crimes carefully though not to the extent of homes so london's police officers walked a very strict beat and had to be at a certain point at a certain time each shift and jack was always one so step he ahead of him always seemed to know exactly when and where to strike when the officer was nowhere nearby right so that does show that he did planning somewhat then he had to find subdue and mutilate his victims quickly like you said that one somebody saw him at like one o'clock and then 30 minutes later they were dead or something right so some believed organs were the basis for jack the ripper's murders and since as a lot of people know there were organs that were never right found and people thought that he would mutilate them so that the missing organs would would not be the main focus of the murders we all know that Holmes would like sell organs and skeletons and all that stuff so the last thing that I'm going to mention is the fact that Holmes regularly left a constant paper trail of like financial transactions and promissory notes and legal problems and lawsuits because he had all that going on because right. he was this big scam artist. <laughs> Oddly, his trail fell silent after July of 1888 until 1889. So it could be, it could or could not be a coincidence that Jack the Ripper committed his killings in a short span from like August to November in, right. 18, in 1888. And Jack the Ripper disappeared suddenly after he took his last victim. So not too long after the horrific murder of Mary Kelly. Which was the fifth victim. Which was the fifth victim. A ship's log revealed that someone called H.H. Holmes left England for America. So that's that. Which is funny because one of the theories was immigration and... Mm -hmm. um, so like possible imprisonment and death. So it seems like he could have left and gone to London for like this short time where there was no trail of him. So that's just a theory. That's what it is a theory. And I mean, but also there's a ton of theories and there's a ton of people that 
lineup with him. You could and go. I was gonna say this could go on for th- hours. And all hours the and hours. theories that um come with Jack the Ripper literally can put you into a rabbit hole of just nonstop. Oh yeah, speculations and questioning, which makes this such an interesting case. I mean. It, it's again to me almost like the zodiac killer which we all know who the killer was i don't care what anybody says <laughs> um <laughs> we all know who, the, who is the killer who's the zodiac killer you don't know no <laughs> the one person that was technically like the biggest theory that everyone thought i don't know there's a lot of big theories oh man i gotta <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my phone's out of reach. I can't think of his name. He's the one that goes to, he gets arrested and then all. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll cover the Zodiac at oh, some point, but yeah, it's on my list. Um, I don't know why I can't, maybe, maybe the reason I can't think of his name is because it's after 10 o'clock and I'm an old person <laughs> and I'm usually in bed. So but... past my bedtime. <laughs> um, anyways, it doesn't matter. So <laughs> I'm just saying there's so many theories that can be placed on all these unsolved cases right when some of them there's a reason they're unsolved (laughs) (laughs) but my thing is like for instance i'm saying the zodiac killer we all know who the murderer is because i personally think it's specifically this person because everything points to him and in this case it is pretty coincidental that hh holmes was in all these places at the same time jack the ripper like it's a really good theory to me too it's a good theory also he's a terrible sleazeball he is (laughs) like how many motherfucking wives do you need bruh stop killing babies like women be crazy (laughs) you don't need all them apparently men be crazy too (laughs) men be real everybody be crazy (laughs) (laughs) men be real crazy (laughs) so that is that on that and that yeah so that's our stuff so uh follow us on all the things we're so ready for bed i'm so ready for bed um follow us on all the things you know go to serialholicsisters.com you can catch it all on there you can, if you haven't listened to our latest patreon episode either oh my god it's my favorite episode that we've done yet it really I is think it's so good it, it's very it's comical for sure um you should definitely give it a listen because it it's worth it if you want to look and see what it's about you can go to the patreon and you can see like a little without joining you can see like a little info on what it's about yeah so if you might be interested you can totally that click that join check button that and check it out it's really good it is and until next time okay let's be, let's awkward. be awkward okay bye okay bye bye